Good morning. We're uh, again in Hebrews chapter 3. And if you want to have uh, your Bible prepared, because we'll be turning there as well, it'd be good to have Mark Psalm chapter 95. As we've seen throughout the past few weeks that uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, there is a direct quotation from several verses, in fact, from Psalm 95. And so I want us to to keep that bookmark so that we uh, would go back and forth to see uh, what the text is really speaking of. As everyone is turning there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Psalm 95. Yes. Mark. Psalm 95. <laughs> That's a little confusing, right? She was, she, she was looking at Mark. How about make a mark uh, in Psalm 95? Yeah. yeah. We could see Jesus in Psalm 95, but Mark would be pretty difficult. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we're just thankful for all your provision, God. We just trust in you and and praise you for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings, both spiritual and temporal, that you have bestowed upon us, God. And we just give you the credit for those because we know that all of these things come from you, Lord, that nothing uh, good and nothing healthy is given unless it comes from your hand, God. And we just praise you for it. We ask that you would uh, bless this church, Lord, and bless them. uh, the people that are they're not here even, Lord, that you would be with them as they travel and as they're sick, Lord, and heal them and bring them back to this fellowship so that we can encourage one another and teach one another and love one another in Christ uh, for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of your name, O oh God. And we just ask this morning that you would give to us a spiritual wisdom of Jesus Christ in this particular scripture, God, that you would call us to repentance by it. Lord, that you would call us uh, to the foot of the cross, that we would come and that we would stay, Lord, and be nourished there by it and by him who has hung upon it and now ascended into the throne. Lord, we just thank you for the blood of Christ that is for the remission of sin, God, and we just ask that you would uh, give to us bountifully the knowledge of Christ this morning and love for him and his church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we'll be looking again at Psalm... Uh, 95, as it is quoted there in Hebrews chapter 3. So if you're there in Hebrews chapter 3, let's begin reading with what we've seen in the past weeks. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, but for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoke me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, 
where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then today's verse, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. What a heavy weight to such a statement. And as we have gone through the text and seen what is happening from the very first verse until verse 12 here this morning, what we notice is that there is this pattern in Hebrews which we start by seeing Christ in His deity described by God the Father Himself in chapter 1. And then in that we see the progression from Christ as a babe born in a manger, Christ as a man going to the cross, living a sinless life, and Christ as a man ascending into heaven. And with that, Christ as man and God giving to us His righteousness and His holiness. And therefore, we have presented in the Hebrews the gospel. But there is a focus of this gospel that it would be projected, that it would be given to someone. And as we see this morning, it's saying, take care, brethren. Now, what we also notice from that is if you go back, we would note that the text really begins with verse 1. And it says, therefore, holy brethren. So we have, therefore, holy brethren, and then we have, take care, brethren. What we see and what we're about to have uh, set before us in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, is the complete picture of who is being spoken to. We have a Hebrew people, a religious people, a people who follow the religion of their fathers, but yet there are some here with a verse 1 that have been uh, have been noted as coming to Christ for salvation because it says, Therefore, holy brethren, those who were once unholy, made holy by someone. What does that mean? If there are a brethren who are holy, they must have been made holy by the one, the only one who is able to make them holy, and that's Jesus Christ. They must have received the true saving gospel of Christ if they were to be converted from some other type of brethren to a holy brethren. And what we know is that that must be the change of Christ. That must be the effectual working of the gospel in the life of what was once an unbeliever. And so we have this, therefore, holy brethren, and it describes their partaking of Christ. It describes their involvement in this heavenly calling, submitting that Christ is a man, that Christ is an apostle, the one sin of God, that Christ is the high priest, the one who is bringing forth the sacrifice. And then like no other high priest, Christ is the sacrifice. And later he is described as the Christ. Now that is very important. Because when we get to verse 12, we see that not only are the the Hebrew people who have truly received Christ and who are truly following Christ, not only are they being spoken to, but there are two other groups that must be present, right? One begins in verse 1, holy brethren, and then what we have today is a second group, just the brethren. Now, some would accredit uh, this particular epistle as belonging to Paul. And therefore, it would make sense that he's speaking to the brethren. But in reality, what we see here in verse 12 is that the brethren are no longer called holy brethren. There's no longer this reference to those who are actually 
believing in Christ. But rather what we see from the text, because that would, that would cause a lot of other texts in Scripture, if we took it that way, to seem, uh, to seem wrong or errant. And in fact, we know the Scripture is not errant. But what we see is an appeal to those who have a, a literal and a working mental knowledge that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, but they have not yet to follow Christ with obedience. And so what we see here is now it's appealing to this man that has heard the gospel, that believes that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, but they have not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, and they are not truly following Christ, therefore they have no salvation yet in Christ. And that is a reality that we see throughout the entire Bible, and most certainly through the New Testament, and we know for ourselves that there are people who who claim to believe in God, and they claim to believe that Jesus, in fact, did exist, and they believe that He is the Son of God. They believe that He died. They believe that He uh, was on this cross, and He absorbed the wrath of God. He took it, and He gave to men His righteousness, but they will not live the life that Christ demands Christians to live. If in fact this is true, there is no salvation. And what we'll see in, in this text is the warning that comes with it. Likewise, when we looked back uh, through the verses that we had seen previously, it says, uh, this is the Christ who is faithful, a son over his house, whose house we are. And it qualifies it by saying, if we hold fast. You can believe that there is this Jesus. And you can believe in the Jesus of the Bible, but if you do not trust in this Jesus, there is the if of this statement. There is no salvation unless, if there is perseverance, if there is confidence, if there is hope, if there is obedience, if there is a change. And we see that in the text. So what we notice here, first of all, in uh in verse 12, like we've seen so many times in the book of Hebrews, is that there is this strong warning. Take care. To take care would mean to listen to the message, this Jesus of your calling, to consider this Jesus, this high priest, this apostle, this Christ. And to take care does not literally mean to take care of the physical man, but it is saying take care of the soul, take care of the spiritual man, brethren, by following what will come, by believing in this Christ whom I have spoken of. Take care. Watch. What do we do if we want to take care of something? If you take care of someone in the hospital, we watch them, right? We go and sit by their side and we're concerned with everything. Now, you know, that's one instant where, instance where someone doesn't care if you're in their business, right? If they're in the hospital, they're sick and they may be dying. And you're sitting there asking questions of the doctor. And you're taking care and you're meddling in everything that is going on because you want to see this person revived and come back to life. This is the spiritual taking care that we as men are vigilant and are focused upon Christ that the soul will be taken care of. And not just our own soul, but that the soul of these brethren, who some in this midst are holy brethren, who have been saved, who are trusting in Christ, but yet there are some who we need to take care of who are yet to follow the Christ. 
who are yet to trust in the Christ. Take care. Take heed, it says. And it begins with the mind. You know, to trust in Christ and to follow Christ, we must first be uh, so consumed and so assured in the mind that He is who He says He is that then we can trust in that person by which He claims to be and who He is in fact. Therefore, it is a battle with the mind because the mind is wicked. The mind of man is leading him astray. The mind of man is doing everything in the flesh to distract him from the cross. But there needs to be a watchfulness and it begins with the knowledge of who Christ is. The knowledge of God. The beginning of wisdom, the Bible says, being fearful of this God of the Bible. Jesus is one to be fearful of. Jesus does not have simply one goal to redeem mankind and to save mankind, but we know that Jesus, being a just God, also has the responsibility to punish sin, to judge sin. And so as we look at that, we know that our watchfulness, our heed, this warning is to be careful for the spiritual man that he is following the right Jesus that he is obedient to the right Jesus, that his soul would be saved and that he would be spared from the wrath of God. And we talked about it last week. This is the only instance where you can think of it. To escape the wrath of God doesn't mean to run away from the one who is exacting his wrath. It in fact means to run towards the one who is exacting his wrath. To get away from an angry bear, you don't run towards the bear, right? To get away from a consuming fire, you don't run to the one who has kindled the fire. But this is not true of God. What God is saying, if you want to escape my wrath, run to my son, Jesus Christ. Take care, brethren, those who have heard the gospel. And this is where the warning is really a resounding of what we've seen. Why is he saying take care, brethren? Because they have heard his voice. The voice of God is speaking through Christ. And the problem is that man has such a hard heart. You know, the reality is that there may be some today who have heard the gospel a hundred times or a thousand times, and they've been so desensitized to the gospel and the saving message that they are inching closer to hell with every moment the heart growing harder and harder because it becomes easier to just discount what God has said. It happens when we fumble with our cell phones during a message, when we're talking to our neighbor, when we're simply out in space. And I heard one preacher say that if one is not listening to the sermon, is not coming to be fed, and is not being changed by the gospel, it would probably be better for him to not hear the gospel that day, to leave this place, because every time that you hear it and do not respond, your heart is growing harder. What a sobering reminder. Take heed. Take care, brethren. These are the kinsmen to Abraham and to Moses. And this is the appeal that the 
that the penman was making throughout the entire text here in chapter 3. He's appealing to these men of flesh, these descendants who think they somehow have salvation because of their lineage. And so we see this move from holy brethren to simple earthly brethren. Many believe that it was Paul who in fact wrote these things down because he also said that he would die for his kinsmen, right? That he would do anything that they would know Christ and submit to Christ. But the take heed here, the the take care is a, a, a strong warning, a caution of evil. What is evil? Evil is anything that says, don't worry about listening to that God. Don't worry about following that Christ. Uh, The first time that we actually see that would be in Genesis. Don't worry about what he said about eating the fruit. What is the evil? The evil is knowing what God has said and in our minds deciding to go against it anyway. This is the hardened heart. This is ears that hear but do not listen. Eyes that see but are blind. In fact, we see it says in the day of the trial of the wilderness, your fathers tried me by testing me and they saw my works for 40 years. And I was angry with this generation. They always go astray in their hearts. Bitterness and selfishness and sin is rooted in the mind first. Sin is not present only when we see an action but when we allow sin to cause our mind to move our bodies to sin against God. It begins in the mind and it moves forward. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now what do we know? We know that none can snatch us out of His hand. Yet it says that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What he's talking about are these brethren, these kinsmen according to the flesh that have heard the message of the gospel and they are not responding appropriately. They are not changed by the gospel and they can't change themselves. Here's where we see the sovereignty of God. That he would warn and warn, but the evil heart can do nothing unless he comes in. Let there be none of you not one with an evil, unbelieving heart. So what, what, what must we deal with? The heart. You know, we have a saying in the English language, the heart wants what it wants. Boy, isn't that sinful? Isn't that sinful? Here, what the penman is saying is that the heart needs to want what God wants. The heart needs to want what God has given, and that is Jesus Christ. There is no holy brethren without this Jesus Christ. And what we notice, if you will, is that sometime back in verse 7, and this is why I want us to mark this, it said, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, we know that that's a direct quote, right? It says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, but turn your Bible to Psalm chapter 95. And here it's accredited to David to write this. And he says, do not harden your hearts. Now we have an example given originally, as we understand, written from David. 
But the Bible here is telling us about this Jesus who is the Christ because it says, just as the Holy Spirit says. David wasn't saying these things in the flesh, but David was saying these things in the heart according to the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit was testifying to David, do not harden your heart. David wasn't reminding himself. And here we must see that, that if the heart is hardened, we are not listening to the Spirit. If the gospel is being presented, it is not a man before you that is presenting the gospel, but it is the Spirit testifying that this is the Christ. The heart is the subject of the matter here. That we must come to a place where we see this heart and we see it for what it is. The Bible says wicked. The Bible says evil. The Bible says deceptive. And we see throughout the entire New Testament, the Old Testament as well, that man is in a constant struggle with the desires of his own heart. Yet it says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What is an evil heart? Any heart that is unbelieving. Any heart that is not trusting in Christ. Now what we understand from that is that these are those brethren, like I said, who are not saved. They have yet to submit to the will of Christ. Yet, they are defined by their heart. Not their actions. Not their speech. Not anything else. These men are defined by the intent and the belief of their heart. Christ or no Christ. Believing or unbelieving. The mind must be so made up that it causes the heart to follow suit and to trust not in what the natural man desires, but in what Christ says is good, what Christ said is clean. There is a habitual evil that lies within man's heart and he is combating that with only one weapon. That is the weapon that is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, Jesus Christ, the living word himself. The natural man receiveth not. The natural man cannot receive these things. And yet, why do we look at this? Because these were a group of people together and some were unbelieving some were believing, yet not unto salvation. And some were believing unto salvation. And here what we have is the mix that Jude is telling us about. When he warns about false teachers saying, Some will have crept in unawares. Some have crept in unawares. And you know the sad part about that? Is that some even creep in unawares to themselves. Self-deceiving, thinking that they have salvation, but they do not trust in Christ and they are not changed. They live the same way they have always lived. And this is why it's so dangerous. We think about all the warnings in Scripture of these false teachers. And of course, like with the one I mentioned, and we think, well, some people aren't teaching. You know what? If you're not teaching Christ, you're teaching something else. You're teaching self-righteousness. You're teaching self-service and self-pleasure. You're teaching everything but Christ and that makes you a, a false teacher. And so we have to deal with that, that some will creep in unawares. Some will have no grace 
given to them. Therefore, they will have no changed heart. Therefore, if they have a heart of stone instead of a heart of flesh, it is no wonder why this hardened heart has has done so much to block out the truths of the gospel. That's what a hardened anything is. It's an impenetrable force. Thank goodness we have a solid rock ourselves. A solid rock that is Jesus Christ. And when He comes, I promise you His rock is able to bust any other rock. His rock is stronger. His rock will not be moved. It is an impenetrable force and you will see it and you will know it by the fruits of those who bear it. It's a wonderful thing. An evil heart is an unbelieving heart. Now, what we know about unbelief is that this really, so given into idolatry, unbelief is the root of all sin. Why do we sin? Because we don't practice what we preach. There's the issue. Every man, woman, and child in here today is dealing with a hardened heart. We have a tendency to want to harden our heart because we know what Christ has said and we do not do it, we rebel. Who's not guilty? We know what He has declared. And He says, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. It's a warning for the modern church because we have gatherings and we have people who come faithfully who can relay the gospel message because they've heard it. Because they've memorized it, but they have not embraced it. They have not loved it, and they have not lived it. This is a monumental lesson for the church because the Bible here is saying, all you who gather together, there is a separation. There are those who believe unto salvation. There are those yet to believe unto salvation. And there are those who will never believe. And the warning is for self first. To look out for those things. And secondly, it is to the congregation that we would also notice these things for two reasons. One, that we would separate if one would not conform to Christ and to what he says. But two, that if one has yet to conform, that we may preach this same gospel that one may be transformed by it. Unbelief. Evil. Unrighteous. This was the very... Same thing that is being given to us in verses 7 through 11 when he's talking about the ancestors in the wilderness. Your fathers. What were they guilty of? They were guilty of unbelief. The people of God seeing his miracles for 40 years. 40 years. And never trusting. It's the same message. What the penman here in Hebrews is saying is he's saying, do not do what David told his people to not do when he was talking about the people who were in the wilderness was Moses and they were doing what they should have not done. 
What he's really saying is he's saying here, uh, the penman as he writes these things down under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying the man's heart has not changed from Moses and even before Moses from the beginning of creation. Man is unbelieving. He's untrusting of God. Do not harden your hearts like the Israelites, like Pharaoh, like every other unbelieving person since Adam. The warning is the same. There is no new message. Be careful of your unbelief. And you know what? These people who are brethren and not called holy brethren, the danger that they fall into if they are not to respond to the gospel after hearing it and knowing that this Jesus is the Christ, the danger is apostasy. Apostasy is not having salvation and losing it. Apostasy is having the knowledge of Christ and knowing that He is Christ and that He is the Messiah and that He is the Son of God and doing nothing with it. That's apostasy. In one sense, Satan himself is guilty. He knows that God is God. He knows that Jesus is the Christ. But he doesn't live like it. Apostasy is the danger here. And it is the sin of God's people. In the wilderness. Not trusting. What the penman is saying. Let it not be the sin of the true people of God. To desert what God has put forth. His plan to deliver Don't cast it aside. Don't pervert His Word like it was said this morning. The gospel for grace and great, uh, and the, the grace turned into law. We don't want to do that. There is no grace in those things. I think the Bible, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, really depicts this for us. These groups of people, this assembling. It is not all believers. It says they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us so that it would be known that they all are not of us. There is a group described there in 1 John chapter 2 that meets together, that comes together, that cannot be discerned from the outside, but they must be discerned from the spiritual aspect, from the inside, that we would see that they're not all of the same fruit. Not all of the same root, not all of the same tree, and they're not all going to heaven. That ain't the worst part. They don't have Christ. There's no salvation in that. And what we see about this take care, brethren, taking care to make sure that our heart is not evil and that it is not unbelieving, it is a time-sensitive warning. It is a time-sensitive warning because it says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Why? Because the time is coming when you will hear the gospel for the last time and you will not have a chance to repent. And you will not have a chance to follow Christ. Tomorrow it is not guaranteed. You might not make it to lunch. And that is what the Bible is saying. If you were to wait, tarry until you're better, the the hymn says it, you will never come at all. You will never come at all. 
Today is the day of salvation. Why? Because tomorrow is the wrath of God. He's not willing that any that are His should perish, but that they would all come to know Christ. We cannot do it without this Word. And when we consider all of this, we consider this heart, we consider today being the day, and we all need to look at this like this moment is the last moment where we'll hear the gospel. How will we respond? And we need to know what will happen if we do not respond at this moment. And in every moment thus forward, what happens? It says that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Falls away from the living God. Depart from this living God. Now there is a strong statement being made here about the God that is being spoken of. It is a God who is not dead. It is a God who is not a figment of an imagination. It is not a God of man's own making. But this is the living God. Now why would it say living God? I believe that it says living God because it is describing a God who is eternal. A God who has lived forever. Who is before the beginning and will be after the end. A God that is truly eternal, but it is speaking about this Jesus who is the Christ, who is God, because He did not simply die, He died and rose again and has ascended into heaven. Why is it so important? This is the living God. If there is no living God, there is no man that will live. If there is no sacrifice that is Christ, there is no salvation. There's no other way. No one can come to the Father except through me. He is divine. He is the bread of life, living water. Christ in every opportunity is telling us that there is only one way. The reality is that we will come to the point on this broad path to destruction, everyone at a different time, will come to this point as we're walking the way that the flesh loves and it will be our last opportunity to turn off. It will be our last opportunity to look to Christ. It will be the last opportunity for salvation. And if we do not turn, we burn. It's a very serious thing. It's the ultimate apostasy. It's the final defection. It's the final leaving what is able to save and clinging on to what is causing our decay. Rebelling against a sovereign God, the God of the Bible. Rebelling against the author of every scripture these people ever had. Even when they were following simply out of tradition and culture. This is the God who gave it. This is the God who gave it so that men would be saved that we would inherit eternal life in every instance the penman is calling us to simply look back look back and see what man has always done look back and see what God has done and what God is doing 
Look back and see that God is not some sissified Jesus that does not punish sin, but that He is there and He is waiting and He is ready. When the Father gives the command, He will return and those who are not His will face His wrath. It's serious. It's there. It's not a pushover Jesus. He's a propitiation. And he's a conqueror of sin. No pushover has ever been a conqueror of anything. This is not the sissified Jesus of the American church. This is the true living God who is Christ who is in heaven. And he's saying don't be like the people in the wilderness. Christ was there. He says he was the manna that was from heaven. He was that which was feeding the people and they did not, did not and would not submit to that. Would you look today and see that the heart would lead us away and that our flesh would lead us away and that we would at every instant be called by our flesh to, to defect from Christ, to defect from this gospel, to put it off for one more day. Yet the Bible says, be careful, take care. Because if you fall away from the living God, you will be with all the other dead gods. The wrath of God. It's wonderful that we would consider that the message of the gospel is that God is just, God is angry every day. He hates workers of iniquity. And yet if we come to Him, He offers the most loving sacrifice that He has. He offers the most abundant grace that you will ever see and that you will ever fear. And you know, the, the whole thing is, uh, ever feel, excuse me, the whole thing is that uh, the basis of what they have felt, these people who have heard this message, the two being the camp of one who has heard and responded and the one who has heard and not yet responded, it doesn't say, well, whatever you feel is, is the end of it. It doesn't say that. It says that if you respond to this gospel and if you boast firm in this hope and you're following this, then what you felt was effectual. But if you do not respond to this gospel... And if you do not heed the words of Christ, and if you do not trust in this Jesus Christ, and if you do not live for this Jesus Christ and die to yourself, what you felt was a deception. A deception of an evil heart. You might have thought that you were following Him. You might have thought that you were saved because you heard who He was and you believed who He was, but you did not follow. What you felt was no good unless it caused man to be changed. And not changed in just any way, but changed that he would follow this Jesus who is the Christ. The message is very simple. We must be on the lookout for what the heart wants versus what Christ causes us to desire and calls us to desire. If our heart is wanting anything other than righteousness, if it wants riches, if it wants earthly pleasure, if it wants nothing more than to be popular or to be liked by people, this is not of God. We're part of those who went out from us. 
but we're not of us. We must be very careful. So what I would encourage everyone today to do is to consider our lives. Consider that we are before the Almighty Jesus Christ. And we're hearing the gospel today that says if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ and trust in Him for salvation and take up your cross and follow Him, that He will save. Hosanna. Save now. Doesn't say save later. Think about that. Today is the day of salvation. Respond today to this gospel for tomorrow is not promised. The wrath of God is here. It's but a breath away, but a simple breath from God, a simple word of God, it shall fall down upon our heads. But if we are in Christ, we are saved. There is no time like the present because the present is the only time that is guaranteed. Tomorrow is not. But what is guaranteed is after tomorrow is gone and when the day is past, God will judge the earth in righteousness. Where is our righteousness? If your righteousness is on earth, you're in trouble. But if your righteousness is seated at the right hand of God, being God Himself, Jesus Christ, then you have nothing to fear. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come before you, Lord, we just thank you for the message of Christ, Lord, we just ask that you would change us by it, Lord, that you would convict us with it, and that you would move us, Lord, from this place towards our eternal home in heaven, Lord, that we would serve you in your kingdom and be glad in it, Lord, and that we would not wait to serve Jesus, but that we would begin right now, Lord, that you would take away the ugly speech from our mouths, Lord, the ugly thoughts, the selfishness, Lord, the satisfaction and pleasure that we have in ourselves, Lord, take it away that we would see just how cruel and ugly we are in your sight so that we would be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would receive our worship today and that you would bless so richly the word that is spoken or in the word that is read that we may come to know Christ like we've never known him before and love him and his people. God, we just ask that you would bless the food that we would partake and that it would be used, Lord, to fill us, Lord, uh, to make us comfortable, that we would hear the message to come, that we would serve the Christ who is coming, who is and was and is to come. God, this is our Christ. This is our hope. Lord, we ask that you enable us to hold fast to this Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.